morning. I'm Annika Colbert. It's Wednesday, April 6th, San Diego's first privacy advisory board. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. It looks like the race to replace Lorena Gonzalez in the state assembly will go to a runoff in June. Democrats David Alvarez and Georgette Gomez will face each other in that vote. Neither got the majority of the vote needed to win the 80th district seat outright. Whoever wins the June runoff will fill out the remainder of Gonzalez's term, though June 7th is also the primary for the recently redrawn 80th district for a new two-year term. Visit KPB for the latest results from last night's election. Anthony Ray was sworn in as San Diego County's interim sheriff on Tuesday in a brief ceremony. The board unanimously selected Ray, an assistant county sheriff, as a temporary replacement for Bill Gore, who resigned in February. Ray will hold the office until January, when the winner of the November election takes over. Among those running for the position are Undersheriff Kelly Martinez, former sheriff's commander David Myers, assistant San Diego City Attorney John Hemmerling and Sheriff's Deputy Kenneth Newsom. It's going to be really hot today with temperatures in the triple digits in some areas of San Diego. The National Weather Service has a heat advisory out for the San Diego County Valleys and coastal areas. The advisory will be in effect from 11 a.m. through 6 p.m. on Friday. The heat is expected to peak on Thursday and Friday before things cool off for the weekend. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. Hello, podcast listener. Full disclosure, I'm going to make some assumptions about you. This probably isn't the only podcast you enjoy. Blink if I'm right. (laughs) It's probably not the only thing you watch or listen to on KPBS either. If I'm right about that, then I'm guessing you make it a point to check in on a regular basis to see what's new, take in the latest and greatest, and then you go back to your daily life until we happily come together again. We're sort of like a virtual buffet. When you're hungry for information and entertainment, you go to KPBS and want to eat, uh, consume all you can, right? Well, you should know that when you become a member of KPBS, you're keeping the entire TV, radio, and online trays full of fresh ideas, like the tasty podcast you're enjoying right now. Help feed your appetite for KPBS. Become a member today. Just go to kpbs.org, click the blue Give Now button, and make a donation. Thank you. The San Diego City Council approved a new board on Tuesday that will oversee the city's surveillance tools. KPBS Race and Equity reporter Christina Kim has more. Nearly a year and a half after it was first passed, the San Diego City Council officially established the city's first privacy advisory board. Council Pro Tem President Monica Montgomery Stepp is the board's top advocate on the city council. She calls it an important first step for stronger privacy protections. Technology is imperative in the way that we conduct city business, Um, but that does not mean that we get a blank check to do so. The new board will give advice and recommendations on the city's use of surveillance technologies and personal data, as well as review how they are currently being used. It will also hold regular public meetings. 
Christina Kim, KPBS News. San Diego has a new independent budget analyst. The city council on Monday voted to appoint Charles Modica to the position, which serves as an independent check on the mayor's office. Mayor Todd Gloria will unveil a new budget proposal later this month. Modica says his office will be comparing that budget with what the city council and the public have been asking for. We will call those out if they're included. We will call them out if they're not included and do so in a way that hopefully anyone who reads our report on the budget can understand um, what's there, what's not, and make sure that we have a responsible and balanced budget. The position of independent budget analyst was created during San Diego's 2004 financial crisis. Modica is only the second person to serve in the position. Two brothers have been arrested in connection with the mass shooting in Sacramento over the weekend. KPBS reporter Katie Alvarado tells us victims' rights advocates and legislators say the shooting has strengthened their resolve to pass tougher gun laws. The trauma, we immediately think of the trauma. Lonnie and Sandy Phillips say they immediately thought of the victims' families when they saw the news of Sunday's mass shooting in Sacramento, where six people were killed and a dozen injured. They know that pain. Their 24-year-old daughter, Jessie, a journalist, was killed in a mass shooting in a Colorado movie theater in 2012. She was the light of our life, and uh, we were so proud of the woman that she had become. They're now dedicated to helping victims and survivors of gun violence through their nonprofit, Survivors Empowered. That's what Jessie would want us to be doing. She had a huge heart for others. She had a huge heart for people that were suffering or needed help. They support California's tough gun laws and the package of new ones, including two that would allow private citizens to sue anyone in the gun industry whose products cause them harm. One of them is mirrored after the Texas abortion ban. The couple lost everything after they attempted to sue the retailer that sold thousands of dollars worth of ammunition to the man who killed their daughter. Federal legislation passed in 2005 that shields the gun manufacturing industry specifically from some of these harms. That's State Assembly member Chris Ward, who represents San Diego's 78th district. He says people like the Phillips are why he introduced AB 1594, a law that would override federal law. From production, manufacturing, uh, down to the point of sale, who is violating a state or a local nuisance ordinance, Uh, they would be held liable then for uh, the harms caused by their products. He says this latest mass shooting strengthens his resolve to continue the fight. Heartbreaking for the victims. Um, I don't want something to become so numb that we're complacent, that we accept this as a normal. We reached out to several gun rights activists. We did not hear back. But groups like the San Diego Gun Owners Association argue passing more laws in California only punishes legal gun owners, not the criminals who continue to commit violent crimes, despite the more than 100 state laws already in place. And they will continue to challenge the laws they say violate the Second Amendment in court. The Phillips say if California's gun laws were to be implemented nationwide, it would prevent more tragedies like the one that took their daughter's life 10 years ago and the six people this week. You can actually trace it and track it now, so we know that better gun laws work. Kitty Alvarado, KPBS News.
It's been two months since a SEAL candidate died at a Coronado hospital after completing training known as Hell Week. KPBS military reporter Steve Walsh says the cause of death still hasn't been released. 24-year-old Kyle Mullen died after the grueling Hell Week, five days of near-constant motion with little sleep. Naval Special Warfare Consultant Dick Couch says the SEALs have made changes after previous basic training deaths, including allowing anyone to call a safety halt for any reason. The objective is not to hurt people. The objective is to train them and to find out who possesses the, the, the ability to acquire the skills to be a Navy SEAL. Last week, Mullen's mother, Regina Marie Knapp, told Good Morning America that she spoke to him the afternoon of his death. Knapp is a nurse, and she believes he showed signs of swimming-induced pulmonary edema, where fluid builds up in the lungs, and that he wasn't being carefully monitored. The Navy says it won't release further details until the autopsy is complete. Steve Walsh, KPBS News. The conservation group Sea Shepherd says a new partnership with the Mexican Navy has reduced the number of fishing boats in the only habitat for the critically endangered vaquita porpoise. Vaquitas live only in Mexico's Sea of Cortez, and a recent survey estimates there are only eight adults and one to two calves left. Preetam Singh is board chairman of Sea Shepherd. He said that while working with the Mexican Navy, they've reduced the number of pongos fishing boats in the Zero Tolerance Area, or ZTA, from more than 50 to less than four. So the pungas know that if they come into the ZTA, we'll know it, we'll see them, we'll report them, and the Navy will respond. The use of gill nets to catch fish in the Sea of Cortez has trapped and killed vaquitas for many years. Sea Shepherd and the Mexican Navy have created the Zero Tolerance Area where such fishing is banned. Coming up, record numbers of young people are seeking mental health treatment. We'll have that story and more just after the break. Hello, podcast listener. Full disclosure, I'm going to make some assumptions about you. This probably isn't the only podcast you enjoy. Blink if I'm right. (laughs) It's probably not the only thing you watch or listen to on KPBS either. If I'm right about that, then I'm guessing you make it a point to check in on a regular basis to see what's new, take in the latest and greatest, and then you go back to your daily life until we happily come together again. We're sort of like a virtual buffet. When you're hungry for information and entertainment, you go to KPBS and want to eat, uh, consume all you can, right? Well, you should know that when you become a member of KPBS, you're keeping the entire TV, radio, and online trays full of fresh ideas, like the tasty podcast you're enjoying right now. Help feed your appetite for KPBS. Become a member today. Just go to kpbs.org, click the blue Give Now button, and make a donation. Thank you. Thank you. 
A very special patient at Rady Children's Hospital got a very special send-off on Tuesday after two years in the hospital. KPBS health reporter Matt Hoffman was there. After 848 days, two-year-old Addie Smith is going home for the first time ever. She was born premature in December 2019 and developed a chronic lung disease. Her condition was so severe that she wasn't able to leave the hospital. There were even times it was unclear if she would ever go home. Her parents, Alicia and Chris, have been by her side the entire time. Her discharge was also the first time Addie was able to spend some real time with her little brother. It's really everything. You know, our, our son, who is six months, you know, we haven't been able to spend as much time with him as obviously we would have liked to because we are we're here with Addie and um, you know we had to prioritize all of that and just to be able to have both of them home under the one roof together is is everything. Doctors say they have never seen a case like Addie's before. She had ongoing respiratory failure and constantly needed to be on a ventilator. Matt Hoffman, KPBS News. One of the lingering effects of the COVID-19 pandemic actually has nothing to do with the virus itself. Data released by the CDC finds over one-third of high school students reported poor mental health, with almost half reporting persistent feelings of sadness and hopelessness in the past year. In San Diego, Rady Children's Hospital reports record numbers of young people seeking mental health treatment. Dr. Willow Jenkins is the medical director of inpatient psychiatry at Rady Children's Hospital. She spoke with KPBS Midday Edition host Maureen Cavanaugh. Here's that interview. Now, what kinds of mental health issues are these young patients struggling with? The problems that we're seeing here in the inpatient uh, services at Rady Children's Hospital are mostly related to depression, suicidality, and then psychosis, the experience of when things don't appear to be real and struggling with hallucinations. So those are the primary concerns that we see in the inpatient setting in our emergency room. In the outpatient setting, though, we're seeing significant rates in all areas of mental health, anxiety, trauma, eating disorders, everything really has seen quite an uprise since the pandemic started. And are these primarily teenagers that we're talking about or are even younger kids dealing with sadness and depression? You know, younger children are dealing with sadness and depression. It just presents a bit differently. So in younger children, we see more behavioral disturbances, more struggles in the classroom setting than the traditional idea of being tearful or sad. So absolutely, we do see it in younger children as well, which is quite unfortunate. What was the biggest factor in triggering mental health problems in kids during the pandemic? Was it not being in school? I think not being in school was a significant issue because the schools bring such a level of support and connectedness to students. They have opportunities to relate to peers and other adults outside of their family. So I absolutely agree with you that the lack of support from the school system during the pandemic was a significant factor in children's deteriorating mental health. And obviously this led to a kind of downstream effect of other factors, like not spending more time online, for example, more time with technology, less time connecting with friends and doing other extracurricular activities. 
Now, mental health issues among teenagers were increasing in the U.S. even before the pandemic. So is this an even bigger issue that we need to address? Absolutely. For all of us working in the field, we've been seeing the rise in youth mental health rates even prior to the pandemic. And then the pandemic just really escalated things that, you know, it became hard to ignore and everything was declared as a crisis. So absolutely, this has been a longstanding problem. And I hope with all of the increased recognition, especially during the pandemic, it will lead to more resources, more awareness and more programs to help support our children and our youth who are struggling. What do you say to people who might say, you know, especially teenagers always have a hard time of it. I mean, there's a lot of depression and a lot of anxiety just surrounding the idea of being a teenager. So is this really a difference from previous generations? I believe that it is. I think you're absolutely correct. Being a teenager is difficult, but normal teenage angst, the normal struggles, they don't get to the point where you're able to diagnose a child with depression or anxiety. These are clinical diagnoses that are made with very strict criteria. And so in this situation with the data we have, we know that children are actually meeting these criteria for diagnoses of mental health concerns and mental illness. So absolutely, it is an uptick from prior generations. And there's a lot of different factors pandemic being a major one recently that have contributed to that rise. What are some of the other factors? A lot of them are more kind of nebulous in a sense, but a lot of pressure has been put on our youth to perform higher, both academically in terms of sports. There's significant pressures to obtain employment and a lot of pressures on children to grow up faster per se in some aspects of their life. And with the increase kind of prevalence of children on social media, there's also this aspect where their lives are being put out there and comparison culture is very evident. So some of the pressures that our children and youth are under are much different than generations in the past. And I think this has amplified some of the problems that we're seeing. And it's certainly a topic that comes up a lot when I'm working with children and youth myself. That was Dr. Willow Jenkins speaking with KPBS Midday Edition host Maureen Cavanaugh. And one more before you go, the Studio Door Gallery in Hillcrest is hosting Hashtag We Borrow the Earth from Our Children. It's a new exhibit showcasing artwork about climate change by students aged 3 to 18. KPBS arts reporter Beth Accomando says the exhibit was conceived in collaboration with two doctors who see climate change as a pediatric public health crisis. Dr. V. Nguyen calls herself a secret eco-warrior trying to save the earth one piece of ocean-bound plastic at a time. So I'm a pediatrician, I'm a climate change and health advocate, and so the most important thing to me is to let the world know that climate change is a pediatric public health crisis. I wake up every day and think to myself, how can I help stop this? And how can I bend the arc toward a sustainable future? And so it seemed crazy, but one of the simple things that a child can do is actually draw a picture. And that's how hashtag we borrowed the earth from our children at the studio door came to be. The art exhibit looks to climate change through the eyes of K-12 students. C. Fotorianu is an artist, but his patients know him as Dr. Andre Fotorianu. We thought that it's a good idea to involve the children into creating art and uh, creating some positive experience about uh, how to think about nature and environment and become a better citizens in this world. Maya Satterberg is trying to be one of those better citizens. The 17-year-old Mission Bay High School student had her water-themed painting selected for the exhibit. 
I just portrayed everyone's collective need um, for water and perhaps the ways we are affecting it. And I've obviously surrounded the whole piece by um, making waves next to it to show how like, every aspect is being affected by climate change. Making waves is exactly what the artists and organizers want the show to do. I think that art is such a useful and powerful tool to convey any sort of messages. So any visual communications is what I'm mostly interested in. And I think it's so interesting to see what everyone else has come up with as well. Michelle Yu is a 12-year-old Oak Valley Middle School student and fellow artist. Her entry shows the side effects of ocean pollution. I'm really interested in animals. And a lot of the animals that I like, they're slowly going extinct because of like the changing climate and a lot of trash that we dump into their environments. In addition to the visual art, there will also be poetry. Exhibit organizer Tae Yun oversaw those entries. I really didn't expect a lot of the lower schoolers in particular to communicate such themes of climate depression, but some of them did, and that really struck me. It goes to show how much climate change has affected the, the minds and the mental state of even our youngest uh, people here. Fotorianu says pediatricians see this firsthand. We see asthma more, we see obesity, we see depression, anxiety. I mean, we can only be healthy in a healthy environment and healthy, healthy nature. So uh, it's all connected. Um, the reason I become a pediatrician is to change things from the start. And so these problems that we see in pediatrics, obesity, plummeting child mental health, it's all connected to the climate. Again, the Nguyen. And so when you realize the intersection of climate and health and children and the earth, it just opens the doors and makes us be more creative to kind of deal with these medical problems that kids have. Hashtag we borrow the earth from our children lets the students address climate change. Children understand fundamentally what we adults make way too complicated. And I want adults to take away the message that this is an emergency. There's no time left. We have to act now. Satterberg hopes the show will have an impact. I hope that climate change obviously is discussed more. Um, I hope that people are aware that youth are talking about this. And I really think that the more we frame the issue of climate change as a debate, the more the actual solutions to the problem become deferred. So I think that we should really start focusing on positive action. Art can help convey that message. It can also enrich a student's life. Not only does it promote like critical thinking and like critically engaging with the topics that you're making artwork of because you have to understand a concept to break it down and then visually communicate it to an audience. But I think also art actually does have a very great transformative power because it allows people to critically engage with the ideas that are being presented. You can engage with the art of both young students and professional artists at the studio door with hashtag we borrow the earth from our children. Beth Accomando, KPBS News. Hashtag we borrow the earth from our children opens Thursday night at the studio door in Hillcrest and runs through the end of the month. And that's it for the podcast today. As always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening and have a great day.